0: Twitch, not on YouTube, lots of YouTube connectivity issues. Uh, once again, we are brought to you by face to the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles as well. I want to urge everyone to check out GPToronto2017.com uh, because that GP is coming in July and I'm excited I'll be working there. hope to see everyone there. Um, for, so we'll jump straight through enough of the Derek being panicky <laughs> on Twitter stuff. <laughs> we'll just jump straight through the first topic. Talking about limited with you guys, because both of you have played limited a ton online. Uh, Rob, of course, preparing for the pro tour. Uh, one of the interesting hot topics today was on Twitter, sparked by Ben Stark, who tweeted multiple people said to me that Glory Bringer Angel Sanctions are really hurting Ammonket. Why can't cards be banned from limited? So lots of different people jumped in, including Kai and LSV. But first, let's, let's go to you, Vince. What, what's your take on, on this topic?
1: Uh, so I think this topic, like, the fact that it's even a conversation is kind of ridiculous, like, I I think there's a lot of people confused thinking there's a parallel between banning cards in Constructed versus banning cards in Limited. Uh, they're drastically different, right? Like, if we think about the reasons why they ban a card in Constructed, what they look for is, like, how ubiquitous the card is, right? Is it seeing play in at least 20% of the decks that are doing well? Um, is it making a format, like, you know getting to a point where people aren't enjoying it because everything feels the same, that can never happen in limited with a rare. Like, actually never. They just don't come up often enough for you to have that experience of, oh, this card is in 20% of every limited deck. I can't beat it. They just don't happen that often, right? I mean, you can see a Glorybringer, I think it's, on average, you see it once every two to three drafts. So one deck out of every three drafts has a Glorybringer. Um that just it, it's not the same logic from banning a card and constructed to banning a card unlimited. Um I've seen people say that Glorybringer should have been pushed to Mythic. That's not really a solution either, because now you've just pissed off the entire standard group of players and constructed players because Glorybringer's now thirty dollars instead of ten. Um so there's there's a, like a, a bit of an awkward balance there if if the solution is moving a card to mythic you're just gonna anger a different group of players. But more importantly, like limited is meant to be higher variance. It's meant to be fun. It's meant to be different than constructed. So creating a format that reduces or pr- making limited a format that has lower variance is just turning it into another type of constructed. And there's no reason to do that. Like it, a lot of people enjoy the fact that they get to open Glorybringers bringers and have fun drafts or open angel of sanction. I think it's just ridiculous to assume that people that there's some kind of consensus that this card wants to be banned, or that there's even an interest level beyond maybe five Hall of Fame pros who think that it'll give them a slight edge at, at Pro Tours. So I, th- I think the argument is just like laughably stupid.
0: Rob, do you see a world where we could do this?
2: No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, like the most egregious of these uh, errors was probably Pack Rat, right? Like. That card was just completely nuts. Uh, I think Owen even joked about him having a sealed deck where he opened two pack rats once and he was actually contemplating just running 38 swamps uh, and then mulling into pack rat because it was just so insane. <laughs> and I'm not even sure that that's completely incorrect. <laughs> I mean, that's probably a little bit too far, but um, you definitely just want the pack rat. It was just so hard to deal with. Um, but like, we weren't having that conversation in Return to Ravnica draft. No one was like, oh my god, you should be banning Pac-Rat in limited because it's too annoying and too strong. And the card was com- completely busted. Like, it, it's an unreasonable card to have at, at rare. But it also like doesn't really make sense as, as, a, as a mythic. So I, I don't know what you're going to do there to make sure that the, the draft format or seal format is still fun. I think the problem is that the removal in Omniket is, like, kind of garbage. And that's just what happens. If you have really good bombmy rares and your removal sucks then the effects that those bomby rares have on the format is exaggerated, because they're harder to deal with. So, like, I don't think that banning the card is the problem, um, and I don't think that Glory Bringer is in contention to even be banned. Like, it's very strong, but it's not like, it's not unbeatable. Um, it's just Wizards needs to stop making sets where all the removal like common is, like, over and conditional. <laughs> they think it makes for a fun limited format, and I think that yeah, we don't need, like, Doomblade at common anymore, but, like, three mana, give out two minus one minus one counters. is just, like, not, you know, that's not what you want to be seeing at, at common uh, for your black removal spell. And five mana exile something is is okay, um, but, like, there needs to be something else that, like, Grasp of Darkness, or, like, that other power level card needs to be more accessible, right? So that you can deal with these kind of cards. And they, then it's not an issue, right? Then we're not talking about this. So, I don't know. That, that's kind of where I stand on it. But, no, I, I would essentially never ban anything from limited i think that discussion is also completely ludicrous
1: <laughs> i think uh i just want to add one thing because i think rob made a really good point there talking about comparing it to Pack rat i think one of the reasons why people are talking about banning this card now and no one said anything about pack rat being banned is because of everything that's happened about banning related things in the last six months i think <laughs> people just feel now that they have the authority to just complain about cards and wizards might actually ban them Because it's worked multiple times now. So, uh, yeah, I think that's probably why. Because Packride is definitely a more egregious problem than Glorybringer. And there's been cards way in the past that have been much worse, too. So, yeah.
0: I I, (laughs) kind of love that uh, it's been such... Since episode one, we've gone 25 episodes, and and bans is always a a hot topic. And not intentionally. Like, it's it's just been the hot topic. from what you said, Rob, like, about adjusting, I- I'm curious what you think, if, if this is actually what Wizards want, so they have it's been no secret that they want things to be more creature-based, and maybe they're just going to keep printing expensive uh, removal spells, and there's a lot of argument on Twitter of people saying that, like, people want that Haymaker feeling. They want, like, a lot of more, maybe newer players love that knockout punch. Now, what do you say to that? Yeah,
2: I mean, to have Haymaker... Uh, bombs at, at I guess really any rarity uh, is better for newer players because it will allow them to more easily win games uh, than like if everything is like a flat power level right so then like you're there's just a higher degree of luck when the, the power level of all the cards is like just kind of amped up because like you'll have like newer players that are not experienced or have poor strategy decisions that are just opening better than someone who has uh much more experience, right? And if the removal can't deal with those things, <laughs> then that newer player is just gonna continue to cast fatty after fatty or or whatever it is, uh and and, and roll somebody, right? There's not a lot of uh skill in just casting something that's unbeatable and then uh continuing to just crush your opponent uh <laughs> with that card <laughs> given that there's like not a lot of answers to that card in the format. Like I think contagion engine was also a card like this. It was just like when you cast that card there's like very little chance that you're going to lose after it hits the battlefield.
0: <laughs> right uh, continuing on to limited one card that has brought some attention on Twitter uh, before i this is the type of card that I dismissed earlier when reviewing the set and looking at it and heading into drafts. It's something that I have yet to play a single copy of, but a dear friend of mine, Frankie Richard uh asked BBD who I at a recent GP about his opinion on Hone Kopesh. Uh, I asked him, is Hone Kopesh good in Limited? And uh, how 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 good is it seriously is what he said. And BBD said I like it in super aggressive decks. A lot of my 3-0 decks on MTGO played one or two. So is this card being overlooked, Rob, and have you been drafting it?
2: I have not been drafting it. <laughs> um, I, so I think it's Fine. I don't think it's. Uh, I wouldn't call it good. Um, I definitely agree that it would go in aggressive decks. So I wouldn't play this in a non-aggressive deck, um, or I wouldn't be looking at all to put it in my deck if it, if it wasn't aggressive. But uh, usually in the aggro decks, there's enough high power two and three drops that like you don't need to play this. Although like if you were gonna play like some other filler card, this is definitely better than that, right? Like so if you're white red exert aggro. Then you'd want to play this over like the one three prowess red guy or like something of like comparable mediocre power level, right? Like the one two menace that gets plus one plus one when you discard some garbage like that. So I think like if that's where you are, then this card is is better than playing those, right? Uh, but I I would always rather have like one of the premium two or three drops than than Honkobesh in my deck, like Neff something crop whatever, I don't know. It's a one, 2-1 trample that gets plus 1, plus 2, or like almost any creature with exert, I guess, for that matter. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I haven't put it in my deck, and I've won a lot of drafts so far. <laughs> but maybe it's just more a testament to, like, the aggro decks are very good. Um, and this, you know, playing a bunch of 2-drops and even, like, mediocre equipment is still a very good strategy. That, that's probably more a more important takeaway than, like, is this card actually uh, insane?
0: I mean, it's interesting that he would say that he would play even two. Like, a lot of his 3 decks have two of them, and I, I just can't imagine you having two. Almost oh, I, ever.
2: I've played, I've played some bad artifacts in <laughs> 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 drop decks before. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like, if sometimes you, like, the format is short on two drops, and some of the two drops are really bad. And, and like, if your deck has a bunch of very good exert creatures, um, and you're, like, 23rd and 24th card, in your like 24 spell 16 lane deck would be like the lifelinking cat and the one three power sky then I would play two hone Kopeshes over that. Like if that is the option available to you. I would rather play the artifact and like a very mediocre creature that's likely to do no damage. At least this thing is gonna do like you know probably three to four damage over the course of a game and maybe let you get an attack that you weren't gonna get in I, I don't know. Like Vince, have you played this card at all? I haven't sleeved it up, but I, I mean we kinda talked about it when we were doing the set review and it's like it's fine, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, i I mean, just real quick for those who don't know what it is or in that are only doing audio and might not have it talking about. It's just a one mana artifact. Is a creature plus one plus one and it's up cost one, like a Cemeter. Um anyway, yeah, so in our limited review, those of you who are in the nation get to get to get some access to that that sweet goodness. Um I think we both said it was like pretty bad, like bad to mediocre. Um But I had this really bad habit of evaluating a card early and then never testing it, and I'm trying to avoid doing that in future draft formats, aka this one. So now that someone like BBD is saying this card might be playable, I'm more interested in trying it. Um, And I can kind of see where he's coming from. I feel like, based on my experience with um, the Amonkhet drafts that I've been doing, a lot of the creatures have relatively similar ranges of power and toughness across the curve, right? Like... Most of the time you're getting two twos for two, most of the time you're getting some type of three power or three toughness creature at three. So being able to kind of cheat the curve a little bit with a Leon and Scimitar type effect seems good. I don't know how often you're going to be able to afford the card for that effect. Um, the other problem with this card is this competing with cartouches, right, for non-creature slots and aggressive decks. And the cartouches are all just so much better. Like, you're always going to play literally any cartouche over on I think those are the big knocks of the card. That being said, yeah, I could definitely see decks where you're like some red-white or red-green beatdown deck. You didn't get Cartouche of Strength or Cartouche of Zeal, and you just need a way to get your your sort of weak low-to-the-ground creatures through maybe some of their bigger threats above the curve. So yeah, I, I can see it being a role player in some bad deck. But other than that, I don't see it being like the next all-star in this format because it's been said.
0: <laughs> um. Ra- wrapping up this segment is there anything that uh rob that you may have learned in the in the last since the last episode that you're hoping to apply to to this pt did you play more yeah. like i saw you post more white decks right in standard or limited sorry in, in limited in limited like you, you you said you haven't touched way a lot but then you start posting a, a picture of uh, of a white deck in the nation
2: yeah, so I mean, when the colors open, I'll drop I'll draft it. <laughs> but um, I've had most success with still with decks with uh, that are playing swamps, um, and they've been mostly focused around cycling and just generating a lot of value. Um, and I think I like black red best out of any of the two uh, color pair combinations. And it might be just that like there's lots of card advantage in those colors. You get the best removal. And the creatures are actually also reasonable. So it's very rare for red-black to have those three things. Um, And given that it does, it it makes for a very, very powerful strategy that is good in the early game and very good in the late game. So um, yeah, most of my success has been with red-black. So that's where I prefer to be. But I think it looks like every color pair is playable, uh, with white-blue being like maybe near the bottom of that list. Um, still like I haven't seen a lot of good white blue decks but I have seen I have seen some but um, I don't know yeah I still like swamps decks with swamps seem better than decks without swamps yeah
0: I've, I've run into uh, a draft I, I ran into a blue black deck is stuff like the cycling spell that returns back to creatures oh Does yeah
2: play, play a oh, lot? It's, it's, not, it's better than playable it's great uh, how, how much you like the 4-2 yeah I think it's also very good. um we rated like wander and death like I think in the b range and vizier I think we had like in the c range um like like c plus it's, it's just like kind of a, above rate uh for what you'd expect like in those colors for either like a spell or a creature um I very much like wander and death like it has the failsafe of cycling, so it's already great right It's a spell which like that deck is also kind of sometimes looking for, um especially if you're red black and have like the uh, two three minute that, that shoots things. But also those decks, um, whether you're like blue, red, or black, red, you have um, that Cerat, I think it's a Ceradon, like a like 6-4 red creature that can cycle for a red, and you have like the 5-5 five, five, um, blue serpent that can cycle for a blue, and then you have the 4-4 the four, four black eye that can cycle for a black. Like all of those cards, you just allow you to cycle them early to like go through your deck, and then you can just buy them back whenever you want with Wander and Death. And If you're looking for more cards, you can just cycle them again, or if you're looking to play some some meat you could just kind of slam them on the board too right so um yeah like just all that stuff works so well together uh and it kind of lets you get to your good cards easily too so that's kind of where i'm at in the format that's where i like to be but there are definitely like some very good aggro decks like i, I think white red is fine i think black white is fine as well
0: right um actually we had one more question on that for the cast by brandon M's. i think he asked on our facebook page Question for the cast, how much effort do you put forth trying to next level the draft format example? If X color is good in your testing, do you think the other teams will know that and thus you plan to draft Y or Z? Um, In my experience, I don't think so because for me, it's just like I draft what is given in that. uh, What the packs, what the packs give me, what the cards give me. And it's hard to like say sitting with seven other people at the PT what. Their plan is what they're thinking, what they're gonna do. So I I don't think about next leveling. What about you, Rob?
2: No, yeah. I'm not <laughs> I'm not interested in being like, oh yeah. So everyone thinks like white is super good. So I'm gonna try and be here. Um I, I just I wanna be in the two most open colors in my seat, and I want to know how to draft that archetype. That that's what I'm looking for in in limited always. Um there's some formats where like even when that's true your deck is still bad but like you're not going to get a much better deck <laughs> if you're trying to force a strategy that's that's not open so typically it's e- even if it's uh difficult it's better to just kind of like go with the flow um than than try and force something you you're putting a lot of variance into how good your deck is going to be by by doing that so yeah i'm, I'm not typically not interested in that unless i've found a strategy that is i'm not like next leveling when i do this but if i find a strategy where um, it's using a bunch of bad cards that I know are likely to wheel then I may uh pick things in what would seem like an odd order in terms of their power level because I know they're gonna synergize with other cards that are that are gonna be very late like if you think of like the people that found the spider spawning deck first right like as soon as they take a spider spawning, they're like picking the rest of the pieces like very highly, knowing that like the other garbage seemingly garbage pieces are are gonna wheel right so when you find something like that you're you're kind of able to. Force your strategy a little bit more because you know that if the pieces are open, they're gonna they're gonna come to you. But I'm not like, you know, putting my flag in the sand, saying like, I'm drafting black and I don't care what's going on <laughs> on around me or something like that. Right. I don't know if you you approached it the same, Vince.
1: I mean, yeah, yeah Vince. I wanna... Like the only time I would make an exception to that rule, I think the last time I can think of was like Ravnica Guild Pack draft, where I think it was Jerry T. Actually, that kind of Pioneered this weird style of drafting that format where you just picked every one and two drop and then like tried to win by killing your opponent on turn four, and that deck almost entirely consisted of cards that were fourteenth and thirteenth picks before he like came up with that deck. I think that's the only time you would ever try to force something at the p t level if it's something that's that under the radar and something that is consisting of cards that people are already are not picking but yeah... Drafting your seed is so much more important than forcing an archetype because you're just not going to get the cards to pick whatever you're forcing if it's not open. So don't don't try to force an archetype. It doesn't work.
0: Righty. Um, let's go to straight to standard, actually. Uh, let's wrap up your, your PT preparation, Rob. Uh, heading into the PT, we just had um, GP Richmond just pass by, and on Sunday there was... A PTQ, or one of the uh, first of these, you know, I don't know how much it was for this one. The whole hundred dollar, whatever PTQ on Sunday, won by Dylan Donigan, who is a name I recognize from the SCG circuit, and he took it down with a very stock Mardu list. So, is is stock Mardu the number
2: one target right now? I think that, like, if you're gonna, if if you're a very good player and you're gonna play in an area where there's gonna be a lot of mostly inexperienced players. That are like still trying to figure out what they're trying to do, whether that be like tuning their version of Mardu to, to beat whatever they think the metagame is, or like tune whatever deck that they think is the best deck to, to beat whatever the metagame is. Now that Cat doesn't exist, I think like Stock Mardu is exactly where you want to be. Like the deck is consistent and it's very powerful, um, and it allows you to outplay your opponent. And sometimes you just roll them and you don't need to outplay them at all, right? But um, I, that. I think that's why Mardu is having so much success, like in the SCG circuit, um, a little bit online, and in like other types of events, like PPTQs and PTQS and stuff like that. I can just see these these players were probably playing Mardu all last season when it was very good. They know exactly what they want to do, and like their opponents are are like not probably not familiar with their decks, um, or not as familiar, and are, are just kind of like making suboptimal decisions, and Mardu very much capitalizes um, on that. Uh, on that kind of I don't know. It, it feeds on that situation, right? So um, I don't disagree with them playing Mardu. but I don't think the deck is the deck is maybe not the best deck in the format. <laughs> but I think in that scenario, that is what I I would also play. That I think it's it's the best deck choice for a tournament like that.
0: Without giving us too much, is there something you're excited about? What what you have,
2: uh, or are you still going to be brewing in the next couple of days? I still have a few things to test out. I'm like mostly settled on a list that isn't terrible. <laughs> but it's I, I'm not in I'm not in love with it. So the rest of my team is kind of like uh taking it tonight and running it through their gauntlet and seeing if they can shore up the matchups that I think are bad while still keeping them the matchups that I think are good uh fine. But I think what's gonna happen is that uh after the PT, everyone's just gonna be talking about how stupid Ulamog is and Marvel, and whether or not that should be banned, <laughs> it's it, it. Honestly, is uh, it is I feel ruining what could be a very good standard format. Um, just because you you play against your opponents, right? They're just like land a tune, Woodweavers Puzzle Not, Crack Puzzle Not. But like in that sequence, it's I don't think there's a deck in standard that can get them from zero. From 26 to zero in in three to four turns, like you just you almost like can't produce that much damage, right? Unless you're like some sort of Pumbler deck, but like that's not really kind of where you want to be, anyways. Um, like Mardu definitely can't deal enough damage to, to kill them if they're at 26 by turn three, uh, and then they just like play Marvel, and you're like, okay, like I don't have islands in my deck, so uh, I don't have a way to stop you from like you know trying to roll the dice, and this is like upkeep. You know, did I hit Ulamog or not? If I hit Ulamog, you're just, you're dead. Like there's just no answer uh, in the format for that, for like a lot of decks, right? And a lot of decks that are uh, interesting and fun to play and have a lot of interaction in them. So like Marvel is just like super uninteractive. (laughs) I feel it's very close to uh, Cat Combo and it's nuisance uh, to the format. It just invalidates a lot of strategies, but we'll see where they go. I just wish that, I I don't think Marvel's a, a card that should never appear in Standard. It should just never appear in standard with a card like Ulamog. I just think it's that's just such a stupid, terrible decision for a format. And it's probably as bad uh as cat. Maybe not, but it's at least very (laughs) it's at least very close, right? Like this this combo is like so annoying that people didn't even complain about it while cat combo was going on. That's how that's how annoying cat combo was, right? So uh it's weird. And they banned Emmercall. Uh, so, like, I guess you didn't see the effects of how annoying Ulamog still was. But I'm not even sure that was the right choice. Like, I think probably Emrakul is is less problematic than Ulamog when thinking about the Marvel deck. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, the decks I think are powerful are Mardu. I think Mono Black Zombies is powerful. I think uh, all of the Marvel variants are very powerful uh, Sultai, Bant, and Tiber. Um, and I think like the blue-red control deck is okay, but it's better based on if it knows what the is going to be, and I'm not sure that it's sorted out in a place where that deck can consistently perform. But, like The other decks just don't seem good, and it's mostly because they can't build uh, a strategy that beats Marvel and also competes with what the rest of the field is doing, so yeah, I'll probably be in one of those four buckets. <laughs> I don't have anything unknown to the format that I'm bringing. <laughs>
0: Did you since you had mentioned on the show your, your early opinion, we made a big deal of it about your evaluation of Glory Bringer? So I, I think some Uh-oh. of our listeners would, would be <laughs> curious to know if your opinion has changed. Because in the nation, I think you posted that man, it might be it might be a great card. So how
2: <laughs> are you are you going back? Is Alex Hayden right? Yeah, so the card is definitely better than I gave it uh credit. Uh it's I'm still unsure. Like if you look at the winning Mardu list, they're mostly not playing Glorybringers. They're mostly playing Avison. So it's interesting that the like the decks that are like taking down the event are on average playing more Avison's uh than decks that are like doing well but not not winning. So I do think I was correct in that Avison wins that fight. But some of the other strategies uh, you definitely want, you would rather have a Bringer against them. Um, but I don't know if it's busted or just merely fine. I think it, it depends on how your opponents play. I've seen a lot of people like just play a Gideon into Glorybringer mana, and obviously Glorybringer looks really good there, right? <laughs> but like they still had three cards in their hand, uh, so they probably had other plays they could have made, tried to play around getting wrecked uh, with Glorybringer. So maybe it's the format uh, moves on and people get more experienced with like how they should be pacing their powerful spells to kind of play around their opponent potentially having Glorybringer, then the effectiveness of that card might change. But right now it seems it seems very good. People just like playing into it being psychotic. So yeah, at this point I'll say I was completely wrong and Glorybringer is excellent.
1: Sweet. Vince, are you happy about that? I mean <laughs> I would be if Carr gave me the call out because I was the one saying it was good when you were saying it was bad in that first Strike podcast episode. <laughs> so I'm going to take full ownership. I appreciate Hane backing me up in the chat, but yeah, it was me and Brian. I think that were saying like this card has to be good. You're we like, um, maybe not, maybe not unplayable, but you definitely said it wasn't.
2: Good there as was great. a lot. There was a lot of different in that format where yes, like you like true. the decks wanted more grasp in their main deck for cat combo, and now. That's not true. Like,
1: Cat Combo is gone, and Ulamog is here. And Grass ain't so good against Ulamog, so... I think the one thing you did say in that podcast that I think is true and important to remember is that Glorybringer is probably going to get better when Avacyn rotates, right? Like, Avacyn makes Glorybringer oh, yeah. awkward. When Avacyn rotates, not only does it make Glorybringer better as a threat in standard, it also removes Avacyn as an option for decks that could be playing both. So you're gonna see a lot more glory bringers when Avison rotates, I'll tell you that right now. Unless they print some something more busted than Glorybringer in the next few months, but I doubt that's that.
2: I think a lot of people are also like exerting their Glorybringer when they shouldn't. I see it a lot. Like they'll just like when I'm like forced, for example, when I was testing Mardu a while ago, um, and I was like, I'd have to play my Gideon, knowing that they have a Glorybringer, because I just have like, you know, all the, all Gideons in hand or whatever. And it's like, they'll exert and kill my Knight token. And like, they'll have, you know, World of Virtuoso and a Rogue Refiner in play. And it's like, I don't think you should have killed that. Like, I, I understand that you get value from killing that Knight, but I feel like your teamer deck just wanted to like, kill my Gideon and then attack me next turn, right? So, um, I don't know, that, that'll that probably change, I guess, as people get more experience with, with what they should be doing. But I, I've seen a lot of people make a, a lot of suboptimal plays with, with Glorybringer uh, currently, I guess, on both sides of the field then. <laughs>
0: Uh Rob, beside in the mirror, besides um Avacyn making it awkward, is it the fact that like the list still plays some number of Thalia's that, that make it a bit more
2: awkward? Yeah, like Thalia is very good, obviously very good against uh Glorybringer, but uh Thalia's like kind of an underpowered three drop against most of the other decks. Okay. So you have to uh I mean like I, I think it's very difficult, right? You're like a, you're trying to play a card that's like good against a certain version of the deck, but then people are like also thinking that, oh well, people are gonna do that, so then I'll just play the avicen Thalia version, right? Then like the instead of playing like the Pia Glorybringer version or whatever. <laughs> so there's all, a lot of back and forth. So uh, I'm not sure what's right. I think the Thalia avicen version definitely beats the like the version that's more slanted red with, with Glorybringers on average. Um, but there's a lot more posturing in that uh scenario, like you have to be a much smarter you have to be much smarter about your plays if you're playing the Avison version and expecting to win. Because if you like deploy your Avison at a unoptimal point, then Glory can smite it, right? You definitely want to like get them or know that you're you're going to like that Avison's going to be worth it, worth risking it against the Glorybringer if you're uh kind of bringing it down uh with without any reason to so yeah, I don't know. I, I think the Avicen plan is currently better, but Glory is like very good. I, I think it's very good in, in teamer, like teamer mid range deck. But I, Derek seems to like that deck a lot. I think the deck's bad, but I think the card, <laughs> I think the, the card performs well for that for that deck.
0: <laughs> um. Okay, let, let's jump to our other
2: topic. Um, oh wait, wait, Ulamog's still boss though.
0: Ulamog, Ulamog is still boss. Yeah.
2: If you're looking to do something insane, U- Ulamog is boss. So uh, that, that's what I would recommend if if you're if you're going to an event with a lot of skilled people, I would I would take some deck with Ulamogs in it. <laughs> Four of them, basically. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Five. If you if you if you get away with five, play five.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, our next topic. Well, while we're on Twitch for the first time, um, a good question from Chantal Campbell was people's stances on wanted to know our oh, never mind <laughs> i'm just reading off her, her comment but she said people's stances on toxic twitch chats Should twitch chats be heavily moderated subscriber only turn off completely or are the negative derogatory comments just part of twitch and we're gonna start with dagger four because he's been on twitch for quite some time now streaming drafts late into the night um what's your take on
1: this yeah so i've streamed for a few years i would say and I think the whole time, pretty much the whole time, I've streamed as an openly gay streamer that hasn't had, I mean, there have been people who have, you know, tried to to rile me up with, with the chat. But I think maybe I have a thicker skin. I don't know. I, I don't, it doesn't really bother me. And I've noticed in my experience with uh, having a toxic chat, if you tend to draw attention to it and if you tend to get very offended or get very, uh, you know, anxious. Um, it can create problems and it can, it can kind of encourage that type, that type of behavior moving forward. And I'm, what I'm not going to say is that the responsibility is on the person who's being attacked to do that. I'm just saying that's how I've handled it. Um, that being said, I do think moderation is required when you are broadcasting on an official level. Like I'm a personal stream, right? I, when I was streaming, it was for entertainment but when you are representing the Magic brand or you're representing a Star City brand, there has to be some level of professionalism in the chat. Um, and that's why you see on any professional broadcast either... I think Star City does subscriber mode only, so people who buy into their their Twitch chat are the only people that can actually talk. And even that's moderated. Um, if we look to other esports, I think League of Legends, Riot Games, moderates their chat very aggressively. Um or it's just moving too fast and no one can read it anyway, so there's there's that bonus. But yeah, I think drawing a lot of attention to Twitch toxicity is exactly what the toxic people on Twitch want you to do. It's why they're posting what they're posting. Um, yeah, just try to try to brush it off. There's, there's idiots everywhere. They'll always be there. Um, but if you can't, yeah, moderate it. There's nothing wrong with feeling like you don't want that information or that type of uh, conversation happening in your in your space and I and I totally understand why they would do it on a professional level for the magic brand.
0: Um Vince, what do you think the argument for people who are like don't don't do that, like just keep it
1: like ne- like they're just saying leave I guess leave all these comments on? Yeah, I mean there's there's definitely a, a group of streamers who are very comfortable with having like completely ridiculous chats that are just like spamming stupid memes and and saying a bunch of really offensive things. Um that's the nice part about Twitch. You don't have to watch those streams. You can't expect a community to enforce site wide moderation. That, that wouldn't, first of all, logistically, it's impossible. It doesn't work. People will circumvent whatever type of moderation you're going to put into effect. And second, I mean, you have the right to watch whatever streamer you're comfortable watching with or whatever stream you're comfortable watching with, right? If you feel like there's an environment that you don't want to be in, you're more than welcome to leave it. And I've told people that in my stream. I mean, I've had people that are uncomfortable with conversations I've had on my stream, and I said, you know what? You're more than welcome to go watch another stream. That's, that's your power as a viewer. Um, but yeah, the, the one thing I will say is when it comes to something like an official magic broadcast, there isn't another option. I can't go watch that magic stream somewhere else. So there I expect a certain level of moderation. But yeah, on personal streams, it's just the nature of the beast. Go watch someone else if you don't like what they're saying and- If you want to voice your opinion about some people in the chat, you're more than welcome to do that as well, but um, no one is responsible for making sure that you can watch a specific stream and have to have a certain... that you can watch a specific stream with a specific type of chat environment. It's not realistic, unfortunately.
0: Okay. What about you, Rob? What do you think about all this Twitch stuff?
2: It's just annoying, I guess, that this is a topic that we have to discuss, (laughs) right? but yeah, I, I can see like the argument, you know, I, I can see all sides of the argument. Like they all kind of make sense in their own way, right? So have heavier moderation, right? Like teach these idiots a lesson and just like send them the band hammer for whatever, 24 hours a week, forever. Like, you know, whatever seems a- agreeable that, that seems to work and, and tone it down to a level where on average people are not being idiots uh, in the chat, right? Or I can see why the subscriber model makes sense, right? Where Typically, people are not going to pay money to you to be an idiot on your stream. That's, like, kind of productive for them, right? They're usually trying to get something for free, get a reaction out of someone, like Vin said, and if you give them... Uh, if you charge them to, to do it, then they're just, like, not interested, right? They don't care enough to uh, pay $5 a month to, to be an idiot. That's, like, not worth it to them anymore. So, like, you see that in SCG chat, like, where they have the premium... When, when they have... It, like set up that only people that are subscribers can chat. Like you don't see a lot of like just garbage coming, right? Um, so it's like it's like pretty clean. Um, but I honestly really do like seeing the idiots in the chat. I think it is beneficial to the community to highlight the fact that people have these views. And I know like you see you see this a lot like in politics and religion and all kinds of stuff in life, right? Where people have viewpoints that you like really violently disagree with and you just want to hit the mute button on them, right? But that doesn't actually solve any problem, right? You just like pretend that they don't exist. And I feel like banning them is is kind of doing that, right? Where, although I agree, they're kind of creating a not, what seems like a not safe environment. These people still have these views that are like, I wouldn't say, I don't know if incorrect is the right word or whatever, but like they're kind of a little bit Backwards compared to how society is uh, today, right? And like, you wouldn't know that there's a problem with how women get treated in communities that have these people in them, right? If you didn't see this in the chat, like, because my community in Hamilton does not treat women like this. Like, my friends do not talk to people, uh, really, like <laughs> like this when they're they're talking about magic, right? It's just like if you're good, you're good, and you're respected for that, right? If you're bad, we'll troll you a bit, but you know, it's still fine. So I think they should leave it uh, just so they can kind of monitor um, how they're progressing, right? Like, as you see it starting to wane and go away, then you know that you're doing real work to, like, change people's actual opinions that, like, no, women are not worse at magic, and it's not uncommon for women to be in a high-level magic tournament or to be doing well at a high-level magic tournament. This is (laughs) not—this shouldn't be seen as, like, oh, my God, this is crazy, and you shouldn't make these inappropriate comments about, like, their looks and stuff while they're on camera um and like i think if you if you mute that then you're not going to get there but i don't know that's probably like a very extreme and odd viewpoint to take but i don't think you'll make any progress uh by just like pretending it doesn't exist um so i'm fine with people complaining about it but i wouldn't make it go away because that that makes the problem look like it's not there
0: that is a very interesting opinion rob because a lot of people like what do you say to those people who say like it, it just scares off like the, the newcomers people that are new to this community you might be like holy crap this is the type of community it's so toxic i'm not gonna even bother entering into this
2: uh into this game i mean like that's just like this type of mentality for lots of different topics is like that everywhere through life right so if you're someone that's like if you just like look at twitch chat and you assume that the whole community is like that this is just like not a truism right it's like just never true in anything there's gonna be some idiots that are trying to ruin it for everyone, right, but you need to have like a i mean you need to know they're there so that you can have a rational conversation with them because they think they think they're doing something cool right something that like showcases like their wit or they said something that someone thinks is funny, and until like someone tells them like hey like you know that's not like, no one thinks you're being cool right now like if you're if you're trying to get some sort of street cred or whatever, twitch street creds. <laughs> It's like, this is not working. Uh, and just like banning them is, they're just going to go somewhere else and be be a jackass there instead, right? Um, so I don't know, like Watsy knows the usernames of these people, right? They can reach out and try and do something proactive and have a discussion with these people so they, they can't be idiots. And I think like temporary bans is, is probably fine. It's kind of like a slap on the wrist, right? But I think probably muting the chat is, is, not, uh, is not the answer. Um, I mean, you can always, if you're like someone that can't, that stuff it makes you like very angry to the point where you're like you want to throw your laptop or something when you see that stuff then you probably should like not be
1: looking <laughs> yeah <laughs> not th- be looking at the chat i guess right i think that's I mean- like a really important takeaway and again i'm not trying to like you know tell someone that their their response to, to a stimulus like that is is unwarranted <clears> or unfair <throat> but at the same time like you do have a responsibility to sort of moderate your own level of, of discomfort and if something, if you know something's gonna make you uncomfortable like that, and you know it's in an environment that it's it's almost impossible to control, you have to have that level of like I need to just shut this off. And it sucks. I'm not saying it's a good thing. Like I moderate my chat for things that I think are offensive, for things that I think other other people watching my chat wouldn't want to read. And I and I've soft banned people, and I've permaban people, and I've timed people out for all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, there are probably things that have been said in my chat that other people have been offended by, and like I don't want to read this. But I. It's impossible to control for all of that, right? There, there's a level of inevitability in that if you put 20,000 strangers in a chat room, things are going to be said that offend people, and there's it's it's not anyone's fault beyond the person who's an idiot saying whatever they want to say. Um, there has to be a level of, yes, there are idiots in our community, we're aware they exist. It sucks, um, but the vast majority of people are not in that situation, and... I'm okay with drowning them out. And if you're not, you can just close the chat and I know that's not a good answer, but uh the solution of trying to moderate every line of text in a live stream that has 10 to 20,000 viewers is just it's it's not feasible. It doesn't really work. As we've seen everywhere, right? I've never seen a chat that's like perfectly moderated and no one's offended. Or else we wouldn't be having this conversation. So
2: Yeah, like you you can just like look at any political YouTube uh, video from the last 12 months. <laughs> the comments are just like completely insane, and and that people's Facebook walls are like that now too, right? And there's just like lots of people on two very far away from each other on lots of different topics, and the comments get you know just very outrageous and and inappropriate. But like it just it just exists everywhere right now. I I think that it's just not the right approach. There needs to be a different approach. Like I I don't have the exact solution. I I think the mods might have a better result if they kind of like soft not soft ban, but like block that comment and then like reach out to that user and be like you know, like what do you, what is it that you're trying to accomplish here like by saying something so inappropriate you know like we're, we're trying to like grow this community and then blah 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 like kind of explain to them like this is why like your comments aren't really appreciated here like see if they can like you can just change like 10 percent of people at a time that come into your channel by not being an idiot like eventually you're you're gonna have a lot less idiots right to come into your channel and then, like, the people that are, like, repeat uh, idiots, then you just, <laughs> that's when it's time to go, right? But, like, you, you tried. You know, you tried.
0: <laughs> um, I just want to repeat one of Vince's better points. Uh, the difference between, like, a stream like Vince's and the, the MTG stream, official stream, is that there is no alternative. You can't just watch uh, another another Pro Tour stream. So I thought that was a, a very interesting point to think about. Uh, for me i'm usually um as i've done in all my podcasts i try to stay away and that's why i'm a a sort of host (laughs) on the show from these type of topics to try to play it safe because i don't really uh generally i'm just so insensitive to these things because i try to not care about them um but from someone that like enjoys watching some streams sometimes i do have to say that uh having a subscriber option is awesome. And, and not just because, just because sometimes you just wanna chat with a community of people that are watching uh, the PT and you wanna have some, some okay or decent conversations with people and not be like, sometimes I've been in chats and it's just people, blocks of texts, right? Where you just can't really see anything and it's just irrelevant or it's just a repeated joke constantly or spamming and to have that option, um, if Wizards provided that option to have a cool subscriber stream that, you know, I would enjoy that. I would, I enjoy chatting with different people about the action on like what the current action be- on the camera is, what the board state, what I think, who's winning, stuff like that to have uh, intelligent conversation with the community. So I, I value that versus just like random people um, Typing complete BS in the room.
2: <laughs> that's fair. I, I would never subscribe to uh, the official Magic <laughs> channel if i to pay it to be in the chat. And I'm already banned from making comments, though.
1: You're <laughs> I mean, one of your the classic members. I, I have wow. ad block
2: on my Twitch, I think, and they, they don't appreciate that. I, I think something like that. Yeah, I, I think it's that's tough. It's
0: like they're, if they want people to have a great experience, I, I guess they should hire mods. Instead of like having us to pay for that privilege, does that does that sort of make sense, Rob?
2: Yeah, like I mean, <laughs> they're just pushing the cost to you, right? So I feel like they're going to do that rather than hire mods. <laughs> it seems like a very watsy uh, thing to do, um, but we'll see. I mean, both of those make the problem look less visible, right? So if that's really what they're trying to do, then that's one of those. Either of those approaches would be. Uh, completely fine. I, I guess the paid approach would be uh, a profit-generating way to make the problem look like it doesn't exist at all. So if that's what they, if that's what they're trying to do, then that that's what they should do. But I mean, they're trying mm-hmm. to build a healthy community uh, in general, like across the globe, even at the LGS and stuff, right? So I still think it's it's good to know, you know, how deranged some people's viewpoints are, uh, <laughs> even if they are even if they're incorrect, right? It is still information. Maybe that's just. Me being an engineer, I just, I like having all the information, <laughs> regardless of how stupid it is.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm the same, but in my experience, I just feel like some people just won't change it. It will take more than just like, I don't know, it'll take a lot more, some sort of personal experience interaction for them to change their viewpoint. So, like, I, I don't feel the need to have to know they exist because I know they exist and I know that a large percentage of them. Won't change their thoughts outside of some, I don't know, some something happening to them uh, in their personal life that really shifts their perspective. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. It's like very rare for those people to change their like worldview, right? Uh, and they have very strong opinions on their on their worldview and what your worldview <laughs> should be as well. So uh, it it's tricky. Like this is like not a black and white problem. It's is like a very complex uh, problem that has a lot of factors in it. So. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess like if they're looking for a quick solution, just paid subscriber for chat is probably the best. The chat's like completely useless now anyways at 10,000 viewers. So uh, if they have paid subscriber chat, then it'll at least become uh, scrolling at a level where you can actually see what people have to say.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't want to wow. beat a dead horse here for any Please, reason. Vince, beat it. But like keep in, keep in mind that I want to say 80 to 90 percent of the people that are saying these offensive things in chat. Don't actually have those viewpoints. This is not why they're saying these things. Like the people that are saying homophobic, racist, sexist comments are not in real life outside of Twitch chat, homophobes, racist, or sexist. They are people that like seeing reactions from other people. They're people that like to troll other people. So these are the types of people that if you engage them and you say, listen, I'm acknowledging what you said, I see that you're making these comments, that's their fuel. Like that's their energy. That's what they want. They want you to respond to them. And I think that's part of the problem of saying like, yeah, let's try to take these people out one at a time and say, you know, we need you to change. It, they, they That's what their goal is to get you to do that. So that's why I try to be very passive in my uh, acknowledgement of, of people that are saying offensive things. And I do want to say this real quick just to, to drive this point home. This is our perspectives. We all have unique perspectives on this, but none like no one in this chat right now can understand what it's like being a woman and playing Magic, we've never had that experience, so um, I mean, we can try to talk about it from, from our perspectives, but the reality is, we don't really know what it's like for a woman to have to experience that in a Twitch chat, and every woman is going to have a different experience experiencing that in Twitch chat, so we're just or at least I am, anyway, just trying to give my opinion on how, how I've dealt with, with uh, dealing with people who have been offensive in my experience on Twitch, and it's going to be different for everyone
0: all righty. Um, good point by Dirtle Duck. Um I sincerely suggest the next the next time you discuss something like this on a podcast, put someone on who is bothered by these chats to have a different perspective because it does seem like Rob and Vince are sort of on, on the same page here. That'll heat it up. <laughs> <laughs> so we would want um, some different opinion. It would be cool if, uh, I guess not. Like, from my personal experience, it would actually be cool if, uh, actually it would be too much trouble if there's, like, different – Private chats on Twitch, but I I don't know, that wouldn't make sense. There would um, be rooms.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's great. There would be rooms. You'd have like the twenty-somethings room, and the yeah. like interested in pop music room. Yeah, but <laughs> they'll still jump in in those rooms. So it doesn't yeah. like I don't think it makes sense no, actually when of I think course. about it. They'll jump into <laughs> the room where they feel is going to get the the most reactions per viewer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Moving on to something else, uh, a topic brought to us by. Sebastian uh great fan of the show, huge supporter. Um, he talks about how we see quite often Hall of Famers talking negatively about MTG on many aspects, uh, and he shows an example of a Hall of Famer um, talking ill of MTGO, but many, many pros and Hall of Famers have talked ill of MTGO, of how they handled the bannings recently, of how they handled... Um, the platinum pro changes that they did, how they like took it away, and stuff like that. There's been a lot of different open public strong complaints against what Watsi has done uh, in in many different ways. And uh, Sebastian wants to ask: Should Hall of Famers be, like be more ambassadors of the game first? Uh, that that's interesting to me. Should they not, as ambassadors, should they? promote this positive image instead of constantly bashing, uh, apparently constantly bashing at the horror aspects of the game. Uh, Rob, we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, so I actually tried to look this up for a while on the internet to find out like, if there was anything written in the literature about being a Hall of Fame inductee on how you were supposed to conduct yourself. And I couldn't find anything concrete, like, written from Watsi about um, they're like caring about you being an ambassador for the game and like a, uh, you know, highlighting the game in a good light and all that kind of stuff while being a Hall of Fame member. But I do like remember them talking about it a bunch, where like they expected their Hall of Fame inductees to be ambassadors for the game, and that that was part of their their process. So um, it, it depends what the the stipulations are on on like keeping that Hall of Fame membership, right? I think it's just like how Watsi intended it. To be done um, is, is how they should conduct themselves. So I think right now it's pretty open, which makes sense because Watsy's like a a very open and accepting of criticism company. Even though like some people give them criticism in very I don't know non constructive ways. Like maybe Finkel's issue was, or, or the way that his comment was constructed was maybe a little bit uh, I don't know not politically correct given his position as a Hall of Famer. But like his opinion is valid, right? It was like very annoying that he was having trouble being able to create an MTGO account or an additional MTGO account, probably, right? So I I think that's fine. But um no, I, I'm I'm completely okay with Hall of Famers bashing Watsi's decisions decisions, but I mean at some point Watsi can decide to change the rules on your Hall of Fame status, right? They might say that, well, like, you know, you don't really you're not in a position where you're, like, being an ambassador anymore, right? They can change the verbiage of how that, I don't know, how that uh, that status is, is calculated or kept. Um, so if they do that, then I think uh, these guys should kind of be a little more politically correct, but I would still be very interested to hear their gripes, right? Like, I don't want to silence them. Uh, I think it's important that they highlight these problems because, as we saw with, like, Kibler, when all those PTQ crashes and stuff were happening with, uh, I think it was with V3 or maybe early version V4, like that actually inspired direct change in the way how Watsi handled PTQs. And they did all the correct steps in the right order so that at the end, they could actually handle the required load, right? So um, like if you didn't do that, then we weren't gonna get, we'd still have like seven or 800% PTQs crashing on Saturdays and it, it would be a disaster potentially, right? So uh, I think they're doing good work, but I mean, I, I, if I were them, I would do it in a more politically correct way, given their status. Um, just that, like, Watsy may decide to change the rules on, on half, like them keeping their their Hall of Fame status, right? So, but uh, no, I I don't think there's any there should be any restrictions at at this point.
1: Okay, Vince. Uh, so I think there's like two side issues that need to be kind of looked at before we talk about this, and I think the first one we've actually touched on on this podcast. I think it was like maybe ten episodes ago talking about the Hall of Fame. And I think one of the issues here is that it's not actually a Hall of Fame. It's this like who's the best player on the pro tour group. And when you do that, you're not creating that level of prestige, I guess in people's minds that they don't feel like they should be ambassadors. And that kind of leads into my second issue is that you shouldn't have to be asked to be an ambassador for Magic if you're in the Hall of Fame, right? That should be something that you should be doing because you've been given that honor. Um and if you feel like it's something that's that's an obligation or something that needs to be written down or Something that you're forced to do. You're not an ambassador for the game. You're just enlisted to do whatever Watsy tells you to do when you've joined this club. So I think everyone who's in the Hall of Fame that's been given that that level or that status should be an ambassador for the game. That being said, I think you can be an ambassador for the game, like Rob said, and want things to change. Like I think that's also important. I think most of the people that are in the Hall of Fame obviously by default are gonna be pretty passionate about magic. Like they've committed most likely a lot of their life to the game. So they're going to have opinions about it. Do I think that whining on Twitter is the best way to use that that level of influence? No. But I think they're human. They make mistakes. Um, I just wish they were passionate about the right things. Like, I respect the fact that, that John Finkel's complaining about MTGO. Because MTGO needs to be fixed. Like, let's be honest. It's not a great client. So I'm all for that. I think when you see people using their Hall of Fame influence or status to complain about things that maybe aren't important, that are more personal issues, like banning cards unlimited Limited to reduce variance so that they do better at Pro Tours. That's the kind of stuff that kind of irks me, because it's like you're not thinking about the game as, as, you know, you're just thinking about your own interests. You're not thinking about what's best for the game. And that's the kind of stuff that bothers me. But I think if there's passionate conversation from pros that are that's anti or against what's going on with magic, that, that's totally normal and should be appreciated. Yeah, for
0: me, I'm I'm same with Rob. I, at, le- at least I like, I enjoy like listening to their opinion just because I know that they're way more experienced and think about different things than me. So it's cool to be able to see that and uh, good to have both of your thoughts on this. Um, heading into the final couple of topics, that we have we have scg has announced their uh, season two uh scg tour schedule and uh they there's been some some talk about uh how they've changed it and it's they've just basically put a lot of modern and uh on their page is like one thing that we, we've noticed over the years is that players love modern from attendance and opens and classics to viewership at home People can't seem to get enough of Magic the most volatile format. We're happy to bring you more modern than ever before during Season 2 of the SCG Tour with moderns, Opens in Syracuse, Richmond, Louisville, Charlotte, and Cincinnati. And up here in Canada for the the face-to-face games series, the tournament series that we have. It's also mostly modern and all the time, the Toronto Open. That is almost, we have one almost every month, I think every single time maybe save for one it's been modern so it's been no secret to us up here and i think to all of us it's it's been shown that modern is just more popular and to me i guess it just fits the right criteria of not being too old but so that newer players can access it and these players just don't want to keep up, have to keep up with standard, and they just have their pet modern deck. That's how I feel. Uh, a lot of people would just enjoy playing the format. They they have a bunch of modern decks that they know that they that they can invest in and that will likely be uh, still valuable unless it gets banned, of course. Um, so things are shifting away from standard, even at the SCG level, and I find that kind of interesting. Uh, Rob does this surprise you at all?
2: No, so there's a lot of changes happening here, right? and they just announced it uh today, right um i I would be surprised if they were only working on this for a week. I think they were probably working on this um for at least a few weeks, maybe longer, and this to me seems like a response to a declining uh, attendance in standard because they thought cat combo was going to be um, not banned. So if you think that people are already sick of playing Marty versus cat combo, uh, so standard tournament attendance is declining, and then you think the format's not going to change at all, then like you don't want all of your future events to be kind of, um, I don't know, hindered by that that format, right? So they kind of like, uh just change a bunch of it to modern so that they're safe from like the disaster that might be standard right so I'd be interested to see what happens like after this like in January if they go back to a more standard rotation schedule. I just don't think like I think there there is there's definitely like an interest in modern, especially in the SCG uh circuit. But uh if there's a good standard format, it's typically you usually more popular than than Modern, if Modern is happening a lot, right? So it'll be interesting to see what they what they do, but I think this is just a response to Standard being complete garbage for the first half of this year. Um, and, and they're like not interested in gambling whether or not there's gonna be 200 people or 750 people attending their events. In um, this way, they, they can kind of guarantee that they definitely will have a consistent, I don't know what it is, like 700 players or, or whatever that usually go to SCG opens now.
0: Do you think that uh, there's there's a lot of talk that people think the it's not because it's garbage, it's because the PPTQ system is here and that there's too many standard events, or how much is it like, do you think the PPTQ system had any effect on, on the attendance of, of standard, that there's too many standard tournaments?
2: I think probably the PPTQ system had an effect on the PPTQ attendance uh, just because There's so many events, right? Like uh, in in our area, you can go to, you can choose from like one to two events like every Saturday and every Sunday for the entire season of a standard format, right? And it's just like, that's too much for a lot of people, right? (laughs) It's like not interested in playing that much uh, high level local magic or whatever. So I I don't think it was a problem for them here. Like I don't think the PBDQ system attendance was what was uh, wrong with this? And I think like the combination of standard being bad in general and the PBTQ system just being like too many events of that kind of caliber uh, happening with a too like too high frequency is just like making standard look even worse than it would have looked, right? Given that it's also a bad standard. So, but I think it's mostly the the bad standard is why there's there's low attendance. If Standard is fun, people will want to play it more often, right? But people are just like not... There's only so much you can be interested in grinding Four-Color Cat versus Mardu, or Mardu versus Four-Color Cat every weekend until you get your RPTQ invite.
0: Um, The reason I'm sort of... uh, I don't don't want to say because it, it just seems like Standard has been bad for so long now like that it's been like (laughs) standard has been bad before people have complained about it but this is the first time where i've seen people complain about it so much and the attendance has been affected for such a long stretch of time um that it almost convinces me like if it stays this way almost convinces me that maybe like people just don't maybe it's not the format they just don't like standard anymore like at what point do you think it's not the format it's just People enjoy modern more and, and other, other forms of magic more to, to spend their time with.
2: I'd be curious to know, like, of these modern, like, these big modern events, like, how many different players are actually attending? Because they're, like, not, like, completely co-located, but they're, like, pretty well co-located in, the, in a geographic space in the U.S., right? Like, I think they're all East Coast or Central U.S. from what I can tell. Um... So, like, is there, like, of the 700 people that attend each event, is it, like, the same 500 people and then 200 locals every time? In which case, like, you have this, like, core contingent of, like, modern aficionados that are just going to every event because they that, that's what they want to do, um, that are, like, lifting the base up. But, like, maybe in standard, like, I, I would be surprised if that was true. Standard, I, I feel like it would be a lot more po- popular locally, but there would also be a lot less people... Needing to train like to travel, uh, to get their standard fix because they can kind of do that, um, at a local level more. But like modern, there's not a lot of big events going on. Like there's no PPTQs right now that are modern. I think it's like you have to wait uh, maybe like another four to six months. I think before something's going to change there. So yeah, I don't know. It I don't think standard's going to die though. I am not worried about that. <laughs> it <laughs> <There's> seems. <laughs> seems to be bad for so long, and I just... Blue like, white standard was good. Blue white flash standard. There were, like, some interesting decks in that standard. I feel like, uh... But attendance was still bad, I think. So yeah, people just, like, didn't like losing to, to Emrakul, I guess. Even though the deck diversity was good and the games were interesting, people still didn't like it. I don't know, maybe people actually don't like these coin flip stupid cards uh, that WotC keeps making. Um Just, like, stop making Eldrazi. No one wants to cheat uh, six mana or 9 mana. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> magic isn't fun when you're cheating 9 mana. <laughs> um
0: yeah, I, I still don't know. I'm still not sure really. I think I'm I'm going to lean towards the, the bad format thing. It's just uh at at the Face Face store, I think on the show even, I talked about how at one point, I don't know if it was during the run of the show, we had switched FNM standard to FNM modern just because no one was showing up for standard as much. Even the Thursday standard, the attendance was kind of meh. So it's just like, it just feels like, hmm, I'm excited. I'm, if, if the attendance grows like significantly, then it will be interesting to me. Then, then it's a clear indicator that people are enjoying standard again. So I look forward to, to that happening. I hope it happens at some point uh, that people are going back to standard. But uh, it seems to be at an all-time
2: low, and it's kind of depressing to me. It'll get lower until BFC rotates.
0: I think we're, we're yeah, we are getting towards <laughs> the slower part of the year. I feel right. When it's usually at the peak near the September. I feel period when that yeah. fall set hits. That's when we're at the peak of uh, standard popularity. Here we're, we're slowly dwindling down, worse and worse, and ugh, numbers and are you, ugly.
2: You have the weakest standard in September or October or whatever, right? Because there's only five sets there. So usually that's like the most. I don't know the the least amount of degenerate things are possible <laughs> in that standard, so the playing field is like uh, more even keel. Um, whereas as the, the format gets larger, usually the more and more ridiculous things become uh available. But like, I, I just think in general, Eldrazi ruin um uh, magic, I think they're all stupid. Um, and that goes for the original Eldrazi, too. They were also all stupid. The Eldrazi ruined modern for an entire winter, even. <laughs> They're, they're capable of anything um, but yeah, I don't know we're, we're in a standard format where like Thought not Seer is not good enough uh, to play because there's just like better insane options so that, that's the power level and stupidity going on right now I feel like uh, if Ulamog was banned there would be a lot of awesome standard stuff going on but I don't think they're going to make that decision and it's a little too late and I don't want to be the person that whines about how stupid Marvel is after the PT even though I'm pretty sure that it's going to crush the event uh, quite thoroughly
0: Okay. All right. We're going to wrap the show up. Anything on that topic, uh, Vince, or anything else you want to talk about? All right. All right. The constructed side. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
1: (laughs) Vince, you're going to have to learn some constructed when we go to Montreal, no? I guess. We'll see. I mean, I can just go and have a good time. I'm just here for the lols.
0: Fair enough. (laughs) Okay. Break break us down, Rob. What's going to happen for you in terms of
2: preparation in the next two days? Uh, so hopefully um, the testing team gets back to me with the changes on the deck list I sent over, and they tell me which one of the decks is best and that one of them at least one of them is good uh, and then we'll just like um, basically run I, we're all meeting up on Wednesday in Nashville, so hopefully we can run some uh closed uh, testing sessions um and just kind of go through some gauntlets and figure out to make sure that we we have a good understanding of what continues to float to the top, and that everyone has a, a deck that they feel feel comfortable with. Um, so, I don't know, there's maybe, like, another day, a day and a half I'm going to put into standard before I, I really, like, just lock it in. And I, I think, like, a lot of the decks are very powerful, so it's not... It doesn't seem like uh, there's too much wiggle room. Like, if, if I was going to play Mardu, like, how many card choices could, could I really change? The decks, like, 30 of its spells are, like, you know, completely locked in, I, I think, anyways. Um, and then the same goes for, like, Marvel and Zombies, uh, and even the Blu-ray control deck. Like, they're very, the shells are, like, very much there. So um, unless there's something sweet that we're working on that's not in those four decks, uh, it'll be pretty easy to lock into something that's uh, I'll feel comfortable with. Um, so I'm hoping to do that to, by Wednesday night. And aside from that, I'll just be drafting. Draft, 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 draft. So... I need to get in another 10 or so drafts before uh before the PT. Um and I'm excited about that. But things have been going well there, so I I feel good uh in draft. Hopefully I, I don't bomb out uh again like I did in Kaladesh. That was very disappointing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely sure you are My deck was bad. <laughs> and uh for some of you, uh see you guys at uh GP Montreal. That's gonna be happening. I'll be there and um yeah we'll see you next episode sorry for apologies for this whole twitch setup I don't know what went wrong with the google hangouts and what went wrong what went wrong with my internet connection but uh, we'll see you next Monday and hopefully celebrate we'll have a pro tour champion on the show (laughs) a co-host
2: co-hosting the show see you guys